Amen. Shall we partake together of his body and his blood? have our young people go off to Children's Church. Miss Ann's got a great day for you. I want to talk today about the power of waiting. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 47 through 52. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, or bring one to church, we encourage you here at Turning Point to bring a Bible. And if you don't have one or know which one to get, I'll help you and we'll get one for you. Amen? Luke 24, verses 47 through 52. Actually, I'll start in 46. Yes, it is written... Long ago that the Messiah would suffer on, on, on the, would suffer the day and rise from the uh, dead on the third day. And it was also written that that message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness for all sins who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And I want us to kind of think about that idea today about staying put or staying in place and wait on God's presence for our life. Let's open with prayer. Father, I just thank you today that there is power in waiting on you. And there is power in developing patience in the struggle that we're facing. There is power in waiting, God, to have you work. And Lord, I thank you that you're working in this congregation, that you're working in all of our lives, that you love us. And that you take care of us. And you know exactly when we need and what we need and when we need it, God. We thank you today and we wait on you today for the situations we face. And God, we wait on the power to be filled with your presence. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. He says for them to wait. And again, the disciples were in a place. Now, Jesus had met with them multiple times. Think about that for a moment. Jesus meeting with the disciples multiple times. He actually prayed and blessed them, and he told them to be filled. Remember, he breathed into them. So there was actually some filling going on, but there was something happening that Pentecost Sunday is coming up. And Pentecost is a time of celebration. It's a time where you bring that harvest in. There was a very special time from the Old to the New Testament. And so Pentecost Sunday was kind of a a revving up time. And for the church, if you think of Pentecost Sunday, it was the Constitution. It was the founding of the church. So these men had seen Jesus. They had expressed with him. uh, They had seen him. They had been filled with the presence. And yet God still tells them to wait. He tells the disciples that you're going to be my witnesses, that you're to go all over the earth and preach the gospel. And so I can imagine now they're getting a little antsy. But he says, but wait. Turn to somewhere and say, but wait. Resting in him. I think it's the hardest thing. How many have a hard time resting in God with your circumstances? Watchman Nee said this. God is so wealthy that his chief delight is to give. His treasure stores are so full that it is pain to him when we refuse him an opportunity of lavishing 
those treasures upon us. If there is one thing that waiting can do in building the anticipation in all of us, is understanding who God is and that he wants to bless us. You know, we can think of Jesus as Lord and we can think of him as Savior's, I think in some terms those are great and we understand that, listen, we give our life, our creed to him, so he is our king, we worship him, we bow to him, so there's something in that. But let me tell you something that was very powerful when Jesus walked the earth. You know what he was looking for? He was looking for friends. He said, I don't call you servants anymore, but I call you friends. And so that's a powerful thing. When we rest in God, God has a treasure trove of things that he wants to bless us with. Let me tell you something. This is a bless me gospel that we live in. How many have been blessed by God today? We get excited about that. It's Pentecost. We can start getting revved up. How many have been blessed by God in this place? This is a bless me gospel. God scattering blessings over people. God taking care of people. Providing for this. Providing for your situation here. Giving you rest here. Giving you peace that passes understanding. Giving you healing. Taking you out of that addiction. Delivering you. This is a blessing gospel. Grace being unmerited favor. He tells his disciples to wait because he says, you guys can't do this discipling on your own. You guys can't save the world. I save the world. I just need some crazy people that are willing to believe me that I can do what I said I'm going to do. So waiting for the promise for all of our lives today, you say, man, well, we have the Holy Spirit now. It's fantastic. Isn't it great that when you came to Jesus Christ that you received all of his benefits, you received the Holy Spirit? I didn't get half the Holy Spirit when I got saved and born again. I got the whole Holy Spirit. Isn't it neat that the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he just disperses to people and gives to people, that he just gives it to them? Do you know what I was praying last night? I was like, who is going to manifest one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit today? Who's going to step out? Who in expectancy, when God kind of ramps some stuff out, what, what is God going to do? Is he going to, is he going to, and this day, as we wait and expect the Lord, is there going to be a word of knowledge? Will there be a tongue? Will there be interpretation? Will there be a prophecy? Will there be a healing? What's going to happen today? Turn to someone and say, I don't know. But it's one of us in here, right? It's not the guest speaker that's going to do it. It's going to be one of us that offers a word of prophecy to someone. It's going to be one of us that if we pray, God gives us a vision or a dream. And that we actually give that to that person. That's going to be one of us. So when we wait and when we rest in it, what we do now is we start receiving the gifts. You know, at Christmas time, we have this thing where we kind of go through the kids going to the tree and grab it. But have you ever been part of that tradition we do at my mom's house where someone's Santa Claus, right? They go under the tree and then they bring the gifts over and you just start handing them out. You're just sitting there. And by the end of the thing, you have like 10 or 15 presents surrounding you and you're just covered with presents around you that you didn't even know you were getting. Right? So here's what Jesus does. He gives gifts to men. And he lavishes us with them. And he dumps them in our lap. And we didn't deserve them. Hey, laugh. That's my last name. <laughs> I need my little clown head again. No, I'm just kidding. But let, it, let us be awakened to the resting in him aspect. That he blesses you with every spiritual blessing. That he relishes in giving things to you. Don't you just love spoiling your kids? 
Don't you love give, giving things to them and they didn't expect it or doing things for them and they're like, wow, this is awesome just, just to be able to bless them and do something for them. Why did you do this? I love you. I love you. See, we have a hard time grabbing the fact that Jesus loves us and wants to do things for us every day of the week and just bless our socks off. Max Lucado writes, most people, by the way, suffer from small thoughts about God. Most people suffer from small thoughts. So these disciples, as they're meeting daily, he says, you wait in the city. Wait in Jerusalem. I have something for you. Something's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to take place. But get ready and start anticipating because I'm going to do something great. Most people, and I would say this today, suffer from small thoughts about God. And you know how I can tell people have small thoughts about God? They have really, really teeny prayers about God. Or they don't pray at all. You know, people with small thoughts about God don't even pray. You know why? Because they're not expecting anything from God. They're thinking they're going to work through it. And they're thinking someone else will take care of the problem. When in fact it's God who blesses men and takes care of things. So really, the people who aren't praying are the ones who have small thoughts about God. Turn somewhere and say, you better start praying. <laughs> we're going to do an exercise for today. I'm going to have you start getting nervous. You know what we're going to do today in this small little church? Uh-oh. Everyone say, uh-oh. So... If they were waiting and they were praying, we're going to wait today and we're going to pray. Steve's not going to pray. We're going to pray. Today we're going to break off even at the end, so I want you to start getting nervous now. And you're going to grab some people, two or three People that you don't normally pray with or see. It's easy to pray with those you love all the time and hang out with and you know all their stuff. But I want you to grab someone that you don't see all the time. And you know what? You're going to go to them and you're going to say, hey, I want to pray with you. We already have someone leaving the building today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, 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 have, we have something where we end up, we, we grab each other and we pray two or three people. And we actually pray together and we minister. And I want you to take that moment and say, I want to pray with you today. Doesn't have to be a big prayer. We're not going to intercede, you know, for hours upon hours. And if that happens, wonderful. But I just want you to simply pray for someone. And if you're not accustomed to praying, it's something that we have to start breaking out of. You know, it's so hard. I've even seen this in our men's group. It's hard to get the guys to pray. I don't know why. Because God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear us talking. If praying is hard for you, I want us to get to a place where it's not so hard, that we're talking to God and ministering to each other. It shouldn't be hard after 20 years of being a believer. Come on. It shouldn't be hard. And if you struggle around a little bit and you don't have the right words, I don't care. Do you know what Jesus actually said against? He said, don't pray like the heathens pray. Who used big words and long words and that was the Father God and Father God and that was the Just pray what's on your heart. So he actually spoke against the heathens. And how we pattern our lives and get theatrical. Folks, this is a time where we minister to each other, we minister to God, and be blessed in the name of Jesus. If you haven't been prayed for this week, guess what? You're getting prayed for this week. It's a beautiful feeling. Most people suffer from small thoughts about God. So you thought you just paid the pastor to do all the work today. Uh, Waiting for Him. Many of us say 
What are we waiting for? Didn't he already tell us what to do? We go make disciples. Let's turn real quick to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The ascension of Jesus. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Do you know when you're kind of witnesses and you're being the witness of Christ and you talking to people at work and your friends, do you know what? You're being one of God's disciples. You're being one of his witnesses. You're telling everyone about Jesus. Many say, what are we waiting for? By the way, there will be no life without the Spirit. A.W. Tozer wrote this. It is literally true that some churches are dead. The Holy Spirit has gone out of them, and all you have are left are the remains. You have the potential of the church, but you do not have the church. Just as you have a dead man, the potential of a living man, but you do not have a living man. He can't talk, he can't taste, he can't touch, he can't feel, he can't smell, he can't see, he can't hear because he's dead. The soul has gone out of the man, and when the Holy Spirit is not present in the church, you have to get along after the methods of business or politics or psychology or human effort. You cannot overstate the necessity for the Holy Spirit in the church. How many of you know you've been to churches where really the Holy Spirit is just not there? That's a church, and it's a building, and it's got beautiful songs, and it's got this and that, but the power of the Holy Spirit is not being demonstrated in that place. I don't want potential here at Turning Point. I don't want remnants of it. I don't want stories. I want now. I want anticipation where we go after the things of God and we have a now Jesus. We have a now God where he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. We can depend upon a God like that. The Holy Spirit fills us and we don't have remnants and we don't have potential. We are moving and shaking because the power of the Holy Spirit is moving and shaking upon us. Did you notice that that word be filled is a very present. And I've said this over and over again. It's not a be filled like past tense. It's a present tense right now. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you can have a beautiful prayer every morning you start out with, say, God, thank you for the breath you gave to my lungs. Fill me up for today in the problems and situations I face. Fill me up. As we wait, what will we do? Have you ever noticed the lines at places when you wait? We're obsessed with our phones. We're looking down to busy ourselves to pass the time if we're in line. Nobody can wait alone. I'm not a good, I can't eat alone at a restaurant. It's hard for me if I'm alone by myself. I'm a social person. So it's hard for me just to sit somewhere by myself. I, I can't go to the movies by myself. I, I can't sit in a restaurant by myself. If I'm eating, I've got to, well, I'll just go sit in the car then and listen to the radio. I just don't want to be one of those guys just sitting there and everyone's like, what's that guy? You know, I just have that weird insecurity. But we busy ourselves, don't we? When things are quiet, you know, being quiet kind of makes you really nervous, doesn't it? You just, you have to have some noise here or a noise level there. Have you noticed how hard it is to get away to a quiet place? But watch what Jesus does with his whole life and ministry. And we say, man, Jesus had the busiest life. Everyone says, well, man, I can't get away to a quiet place in my life. Life is just too busy. No one was busier than Jesus, and no one had a more crazy schedule than Jesus. 
Man, Jesus would get away and everybody would be hunting him down. Like, where are you? I mean, every mom in this place knows what Jesus is going through. But Jesus, Jesus got away. Jesus got away. He got away. He got away because he knew that he needed to have time with the Father. He got away because he knew that he needed to be filled and needed to receive from the Lord in his life. Believe it or not, Jesus, in that humanity that he has, fully God, still would go and get filled up. He would have to get away because he would talk and be ministered to. It's a beautiful thing. So often we're obsessed with our phones and looking down. We busy ourselves and pass the time by. National Day of Prayer was this, this week. Isn't it beautiful that in 2019 we can still pray for our leaders, our president, and everyone in office, that we can bless them in the name of Jesus, that we can pray for our nation, and that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. What a promise for you and me that we can turn from our wickedness and say, God, forgive me, and God, bless this nation. This guy who spoke at the National Day of Prayer event, he had a thing that he did. And he said it like this. It's really simple. Get ready for this. You know what he said? He said there's moments in our life where he was talking how the Lord was speaking to him. He said, Yeah, Matthew, sorry. And it's a quiet moment for us. It's a, it's a quiet time for us. You call it a quiet time. Call it whatever you want. But in seeking the Lord, as they came together, they, they, they sought after the Lord. Madeline Ingle wrote this, When I am constantly running, there is no time for being. When there is no time for being, there is no time for listening. You know, listening to the Lord and listening to His voice, so many of us want God to change us and to fix us, but we, we, little time do we give the Lord, and yet God wants to hear us, and God wants to talk to us. It's a beautiful truth, but it's a wilderness truth, one writer says. A truth of windy silences to somehow believe, to understand ourselves, to understand the great breadth of creation, we must first walk backwards, back along the trail. Back through the death of things large and small, slowing life and heart and mind, all the while listening to the voice of God. All back, 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 back to the edge of the deep, to the starting place of being, the hazy place where the Spirit summons us from the waters of beginnings and whistles love and joy and creating and sustaining. It's good that you and I are, how wonderful that you exist. We must know the Spirit's desert road, the trail away from the roars of man and nature, that kind of being is difficult to trick, to master, if we do not learn to know what silence, the real silence of the soul is, and not of the ears sound like. We must allow ourselves to learn it, perhaps force ourselves to learn it, perhaps be forced to learn it for our own good, to be forced to cease for running through thirst and exhaustion and danger, or simply the hollow dullness of our breasts that call us to seek refuge, to fly like a bird to our mountain. You know, there's a beautiful saying that says this in the Bible. Beautiful verse that says, Be still and know that I am God. Amen. And that only comes in the quietness. You know, when you're exhausted and when you're out of energy, when you're going and when you're going and when you're going, and you don't leave any time for the Lord, and you don't leave any moments for the refreshing, we will never get filled with the Holy Spirit like Pentecost and sense the fire and the flame and go after the things of God Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, 
but accept them as they are said you. Accept the words of Scripture and ponder them in your heart as Mary did. That is all it is. This is meditation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer founded a university. And I'm sorry, German people here. Uh, Margaret, you can correct me later. Finkenwalding. Finkenwald. Everyone there practiced a daily half-hour silent meditation upon Scripture. So you went to school and you practiced silent meditation upon Scripture for a half hour. How awkward that would be if we started out the, every Sunday here in a half hour of silent meditation. But see, this is kind of where school is. And this isn't the three points of the poem day. But this is one of those things where we get into the understanding of what truly meditating on the Word of God and digesting it is. It's not even really understanding what Scripture is or what that Scripture means and what's the deep context here. It's a literally allowing the Word of God to be inserted in you and actually changing your life. Not with more information of Greek and Hebrew, but simply stating that God wants to have His Word bring words of life to you. Learning to listen is a hard thing, isn't it? Listen in the Greek means uh, kashab, which means to prick the ears like an animal coming to alertness. If you notice in the animal kingdom, you'll have like the deer and they're sitting there and you see them like flicking their ear and like their ears twitching and going like that. They're listening for things. They're, uh, they're, they're open to that and they're understanding. They're extremely alert. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, give attention to my words. This is where the disciples learned, and I believe this is why they were filled with such power. And by the way, these weren't special men and women. They were just people that were open to God. We wait on God and for Him to move. Andre Castellot wrote about Napoleon, the great emperor, would stretch out on a setting near his fireplace, close his eyes and appear to be asleep. But he wasn't. He was meditating and thinking through his actions. He says this, If I always seem to be ready for everything, to face up to anything, he told his advisors, it is because I never undertake anything at all without first having meditated for a long time and foreseen what might happen. It's not a genie, but meditation that suddenly reveals to me in secret what I must say and, under, uh, and do under circumstances not anticipated by others. Meditation. Meditate on my words day and night. Can you imagine before you made decisions to change things and do things and go after this person and say this to this person if you would just zip the mouth for a moment and actually meditate on God's Word. Shut yourself in. Shut yourself in the room, the Bible declares. The Bible says when you pray and even when you fast, don't go around telling everyone, oh, I'm fasting, I'm on day 49 here of this fast. Oh, it's tough. Oh, man. Man, he even tells you to freshen yourself up and let no one notice that you're even fasting. We kind of make a circus or a religious thing about it, but when we shut ourselves in, we are actually allowing it to be just me and God. Dutch Sheets writes this, Life is loud, make it quiet down once in a while. Make life quiet down once in a while. He said, man, life's just too busy. I have no idea how these disciples did it. Well, they're just full-time, they do this, and I, that's for their job, that's what they're supposed to do, Pastor. We kind of argue like that. And that's not how it is. And you're going to have to shut things down once in a while. 
You have to shut life off once in a while. I've told you practically what I do so that I can get in a meditative state with Scripture and I can get into a place where I'm hearing the voice of God. Because how many of you know that old bread, that gets really stale in your life? And this is how you get fresh bread in the morning. My wife's a bread lover. She loves bread. If you want fresh bread, this is how you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to shut things off. And I have told you, and I will preach this till I'm blue in the face, if you could shut your phone off, the device off, for even the first hour of your day, before you go get your Facebook news. How many can laugh out loud at Facebook news? It's not real news. If we could shut off the social climate with people's lives and realize all the stuff that is happening, can you get into a meditative state by just staying away from the phone and the TV and the radio and all of that stuff? Can you do it is the question. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. How many wake up in the morning and with a show of hands here, you say, it's really easy to go grab that phone first thing. It's hard. It's good, though. Let me tell you some practical things as you quiet your life down. It's actually proven psychologically and scientifically. If you have devices, keep them out of your bedroom. You know, people have alarm clocks and stuff. Well, I use that for alarm clock. I get it. But what I'm telling you is that nervous twitch that you're going to get when you hear that little thing. You know, you hear that chime, you know, that little, you know, you're like, wait a second. I just won the lotto, I think. I'm going to go check the chime. You didn't win the lotto. That was just somebody asking you about what color shirt you're wearing. See, we don't want to wait. We can't even wait an hour because we have to check the phones. And I use it because it's an easy target. Because for me, the target was the phone. By the way, when I say all this, this is me. So it was a hard thing for me. So what I had to do, and I tell you what, if you say, Pastor, what's your secret? Boy, you're so special. You do this and you do that. Everyone say, fooey together. One, two, three. Fooey. It's no special. No. Because if it's just special, then other people can't get into the throne room of grace with boldness. If it's just for special people, then, then the, why did the veil rip in half? If it's just for educated people, then why do we even do this? If it's just for people who sin a little less than the next guy, what worth is it? I'll never make it. So Steve, I tell you what I have to do. My Bible has to be out with a pen and a piece of paper with my yearly Bible reading thing. And it all's there. It's on the couch. I bring my clothes out because I get up early. I bring my clothes out. I put it on the couch. I put my Bible and my pen. And my phone, by the way, goes all the way around our sectional couch. And I will have to walk around. And I put it in the furthest place away from me in the morning because it's extremely tempting. And I have to get up a little bit earlier now. So with my life and the patterns and everything that's going on, I have to make those choices, Folks, I know an extra half hour of sleep is really nice, but you know what's really nice? An extra half hour of prayer. And I know that sounds really religious, and I know it's really easy, but it's just the truth. And the truth of the matter is we spend more time on our phones than we ever have doing stuff that is the most stupid things we could ever do with our brains. We are actually becoming dumber, not smarter. How and what will you have to do to quiet down a little bit? 
Life is loud. Make it quiet down once in a while. How are you going to quiet your life down? So that you can receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to write, When listening for the Holy Spirit, listen slowly. He is patient, but he will not be trivialized by casual glances and cursory conversation. Like any lover, he wants to be valued. Have you ever had conversations with people and they're really not even interested in you? And you're like, forget it, I'll just walk away. Anybody been offended by that? I mean, yeah, that's how we treat the Lord. Well, I'm just casual. I talk to them in the car. Great, talk to them in the car. But it's pretty hard to talk to them in the car when someone's cutting in front of you. You might be saying things. (laughs) Not to the Lord. So you're going to have to find those places in your life that you force a little bit of noise out. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. There has to be this kind of unfolding in our life where we go after the things of God. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, Purify my heart is to will one thing. Folks, if there is one thing, if we can will one thing in our life, if there's one thing that we go after, if there's one thing that we treasure and we determine, is that we will dwell in the house of God forever, that we will go after His presence. Folks, I don't care if some prayer requests get answered and some don't. I don't know how to siphon all that out. This isn't automation stuff. What I do want, though, is I want the presence of God in my life. And I want to will that one thing that, God, if you don't go, I'm not going. And God, if you're going that way, I'm going with you. So that's the presence of God. You say, how does the presence of God work? Well, the presence of God works wherever he is, we need to be. (laughs) See, we want God to bless us and our journey, our adventure. We keep walking out this way. The Lord's like, I know we're here. I'm still here. I haven't left. We say, well, God, I'm over here. He's not moving. If I tell my kids something, hey, guys, we're going over here, that wasn't a suggestion. That was called a command. And the new gospel that we've created is a gospel of suggestions. Suggestive ideas and things. Well, this might be a conviction of yours. I hear that all the time. Pastor, that might be your conviction. Oh, it's really not mine. This isn't about conviction. This is about seeking after God. Now each person will uniquely go after God and minister to Him. Because my personality, you know what I like to do too when I'm ministering to the Lord? I like to have background ambient sounds on my ears. I love it. It gets me into my, what you consider, happy place. Some of you put my ambient music on you're like, Steve, you're a nutbag. What are you doing? Oh, Holy Spirit, we long for your presence. I think that the disciples were brimming with excitement and anticipation. They weren't sitting around kind of going, what do we do next? What do we do next? The Bible says that they ministered daily. They got together, they prayed, they ministered, they blessed the Lord, they... They were, there was something going on. There was something stirring. They didn't know what. They just know what they knew what they saw with Jesus, and they said, "Well, wait a minute. If Jesus did this, imagine what this is going to be." Paul J. Pastor writes, "God is the great doer of new things, leading us ever to what is good for us. Even if the trail has not been yet blazed, it is that newness that echoes out from words spoken." Turn real quick to Joel chapter two. 
Let's see what the Holy Spirit does with all people today. Lord promises his Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 through 30 said, Then after doing these things, I will pour out my spirit upon what? All people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And in those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. What a beautiful promise that God has given to us. That God says, I'm going to pour out out my spirit on all people. Men and women, servants, everyone. Old, young, there is no age difference. You know, and I think what's a beautiful blessing that I have, I'm like, I don't have that really cool testimony of like, I was in gangs and drugs and did all that stuff. I don't have that. I don't have that cool tattoo. I just don't have that thing. I grew up in a middle-income home, and my parents loved me. We had dinner all the time, and I played catch football with my dad. My mom prayed for us. It was a beautiful thing. I thank God that I didn't have to go through that stuff. But my testimony would be this, that when I was eight years old, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it was very real. It wasn't a religious thing because my mom and dad booted me down the aisle to accept Christ. And then when I was 15... I received the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. By the way, I still speak in tongues. It's a wonderful thing. Like Paul, I wish everyone in here would pray in tongues more than anyone. So I received the infilling of the Holy Spirit at 15. And it was a wacky moment. Then I went on some missions trips and I grabbed hold of this. I say all this to tell you that it doesn't matter what your age is. I was a fireball for Christ at 15. Not perfect, but a fireball nonetheless. And I realized that at 15 years old that God wanted to speak to Steve Lapp. And the neat thing about this, if you're a believer in Christ today and you want to get to know him, he wants to get to know you better. Now he knows everything about you, you know what I'm saying. He wants to talk to you. He wants to hear about your dreams. He wants to hear about your problems. He wants to hear about your pain. God wants to hear from you. But waiting turns into expectation. Matthew 14, 44. Let's turn and see how this expectation is all about. You know, if it comes to the Bible and comes to being in with Christ, this scripture kind of sums it all up. And what the kingdom of God is really all about. It's a great way to really describe it to someone. You say, man, what, the, what is the kingdom of all about? Oh my gosh, it's not that verse. Don't, don't turn there. Oh, here we go. 1344. See, is 13.44 The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it all again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Folks, the kingdom of heaven which is in you, you sell out, you sell out to this. Sell out to God. Get an anticipation going in your life that God wants to do something. And guess what? You start blazing trails. By the way, if you start blazing trails in your life, saying things and doing things that you normally didn't do before, blazing trails is like this. When you blaze a trail, there was no trail there before. 
So we go on to these trails, and the disciples were going on a trail, by the way, that had never been done before. They hadn't discipled the world. This was a world commission. Folks, you know in Turning Point Church, our commission is bigger than this, even the city block. It's the world. We minister to people in Uganda. We do things with uh, Samaritan's Purse. Our commission is the world. So we join people in blazing trails and going after things that we go, man, I'm not capable of this. Yes, you are because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, but, but Lord, I'm not even trained in this mess. I don't even know the next step in this. God, you're calling me to get involved with this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Blaze a trail. We blazed a trail here at this church. We came in here, and let me tell you something. This was not a pretty place to go to. Some of you were the original people here and carried buckets of junk out of this place. This place was blazing a trail because God gave us a vision and a hope for a future in this place. Blazing a trail requires, by the way, one big important thing. It requires that you lose control. You must go through some crazy hard times that you didn't plan on. You have to raise your hand about how we've been through them crazy hard times. Erwin McManus writes, no matter how we try to spin the story, the Bible is filled with tribes of irrational people. When Noah built the ark, he did not live in a flood zone. When Elijah called down fire from heaven, he had never tried it before. Go ahead. Give it a shot, he says. See if it works for you. I didn't think so. So David should have left the giant alone. Hosea never should have married a prostitute. What was Moses thinking when he pointed his staff at the Red Sea that it would move because he commanded it? These people did not live normal lives. Their actions were ludicrous and irrational. And if you take God out of the formula, given the proper counseling, they would have known better than to do what they did. The vitality of their life in God moved them beyond the practically of simplicity and being reasonable. Their lives didn't make sense. Their actions defied sensibility because God drove them out of their senses. Anyone who ever risks listening to God and following his voice knows that to everyone who is deaf to his voice, your actions will seem as if you have gone crazy. So these were men and women of faith who literally did crazy things for the Lord and blazing a trail because they heard the voice of God and they were filled with his spirit in that moment. Folks, I want to tell you today, you might have a staff in your hand. And you might be called to go up to a place where you say there is no way we get to the other side. There's no way that's going to take place. There's no way the miracle's going to happen here. And God says, just put the staff down. Can you imagine being in Moses' feet where he is being tracked by thousands of soldiers, the most premium soldiers on chariots, and he's got a group of a couple million people sitting there going, Moses, how do we get to the other side? See, it's when you get all your religious temperament stripped away and you get to the rawness of God calling you actually to do it. Moses, do it. What if it doesn't work? Folks, I'm just like everyone else. I'm a what-if guy myself. But all I'm asking you and for us to be is be people that are expecting and saying, God, I want to be used by you. Just like the disciples waiting expectantly. They're saying, God, you've called us to be disciples. You spoke to us yourself. we got to be those kind of people. We have to be those kind of people. Blazing trails, by the way, requires a big God. He's a big God. He's a big God for your problem. He's a big God for my problem. I have problems I don't even know about yet. Turn to someone and say, you've got problems you don't even know about yet. 
Hebrews 1.3 says he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Do you know that? We serve a big God. It's so important. Sandra, if you wanted to come up here and start playing. Here's what we're going to do this morning. Be really simple for me today. To say close your eyes, raise your hand if you need a big God in your life. And you know, you want to anticipate, you want to be filled. <clears throat> that works, that's fine. But today we don't do that. Today when Sandra starts playing, we're waiting, Sandra. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally joking. She'll punch me later. Today, I want you to grab a couple people and just pray with them and say, what do you want me to pray for? I don't give them a four-page document of what they need to pray for. Just tell them, hey, I'm struggling with this or whatever. Because... I want us to take a moment and realize the simplicity and the power of just grabbing someone and actually blessing them in the name of Jesus. So why don't we just do that? I'm going to pray real quick, and then I just want you to kind of grab a couple, couple people and say, hey, let's go pray together. And we're going to be what's called a praying church. The disciples did this. They ministered to each other. They blessed each other. And it's a very powerful tool for all of us, young and old, to get into and understand that our greatest defense is Jesus Christ and be able to go into the presence of God together. Father, we thank you today that we're the family of God, that we can minister to each other. That God, you call us priests, you call us friends. So today, God, as we go into the throne room of grace, may we kind of just get comfortable and get to a place where we don't treat you with a religious spirit but we treat you as our friend. That we can go into that secret place, we can lock arms, and God, hold on to the promise that says we're two or more gathered in your name. There you are in their midst. Today, God, we're going to have two or three in little mists that you're going to be present at. We pray for an infilling. We pray, God, that your gifts will be made manifest. That our church wouldn't rely on the bread from the past or wait for Pastor Steve to drum something up. But God, that your presence would fall mightily upon us and that we would be a house of prayer. That we'd be like the churches, Father, in other countries that are dealing with horrible situations, Father, and they're expecting great things from you still. Father, may we get out of our lethargy and out of our assumptions about who you are and our eyes and ears become big to hear and to see what it is that you might say. Father, we love you, and we look forward to what you're going to do here at Turning Point during the season of Pentecost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.